This is The Guardian. Today, half of England is officially in a drought, but the culprit isn't just climate change. If you're listening to this somewhere in England on Tuesday, you might be hearing thunderstorms outside, watching rain streak down the windows, and thinking, that's more like it, the kind of English weather we're used to. But don't be fooled. On Friday, over half the country was officially classified as in a drought. A drought is declared in parts of the southwest, the southern, Uh, Central England area and east of England uh, region. Sadly, this week's thunderstorms won't undo the damage from months of hot weather and very, very little rain. You can probably guess that climate change has made these kinds of droughts much more likely and much more severe when they happen. But it isn't the only thing making England so vulnerable to extreme heat. This year's weather might be the beginning of a new, much drier country. One that needs to rethink its entire relationship with water. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, how to prepare England for an era of droughts. Helena Horton, you're an environment reporter with The Guardian, and on Friday, the National Drought Group declared a drought in eight areas of England. When we talk about a drought, what do we mean? What's the threshold? So there isn't actually one definition or threshold for a drought, because a drought is a very, very complex thing. It's not just about how much it rains. It's also about our water supply and how we use water and basically whether there is enough water. And the Environment Agency takes all of these different things into perspective and decides whether it's going to be helpful to the country to announce a drought. So things like rainfall, river flows, groundwater levels, reservoir levels and soil moisture, as well as the impacts on public water supply and also on farmers and on the environment. And basically when all of these different things kind of flash red, That is when there's a drought. And are these things just flashing red in the UK or are we seeing it elsewhere in the world? What we're seeing in the UK is bad, but it's actually less bad than what other countries are facing. So in France, um, at the moment, more than 100 municipalities facing no running water. In France, an historic drought is taking a toll. Authorities have banned the irrigation of some crops in over half of the country's departments to conserve water. In Charente-Maritime, in the southwest, desperate times call for desperate measures. Many farmers are flouting the rules and watering their crops in spite of restrictions. Germany is facing its worst drought on record. Here in Berlin, several lakes have reached a critical water level to the point where even the river Spree, this big river that is flowing through the capital city, is flowing in the wrong direction at certain parts, flowing back into these lakes. Spain's water reserves are at an all-time low of 40% and still continue to fall at a rate of 1.5% a week. A parched plot starved of greenery. This is no desert. It is, in fact, a reservoir, run dry. So much so that it's uncovered a medieval bridge that was lost when the area was flooded. 
and also there have been wildfires in other parts of the world, including in California. Driving through the hills and into the mountains surrounding small town Mariposa on the southwest corner of Yosemite Park feels almost like entering a different world. The firefighters we accompany liken it often to a lunar landscape. Right, okay, and coming back to these drought-affected parts of England, what's actually going on in those areas? What does it look like on the ground? So obviously people are going to be walking past their local rivers and ponds and reservoirs and they'll be dried up. At the moment, because we do have a secure water supply at the moment, the government's been very keen to stress that. Well, you're not going to see your taps running empty at the moment, but um, most of the country, especially in the drought areas, are going to end up having some kind of hosepipe ban, I think. Right. Okay. And what happens if the drought lasts more than a few weeks? What happens then? As we move forwards, if we continue to have dry weather throughout the autumn, this is when things start to get a bit sticky. So it's difficult um, for farmers at the moment because they're supposed to be starting to drill a lot of their crops, which means put them into the soil. And you need a certain amount of soil moisture to do that. And we don't currently have it. They need soaking rain, so not heavy rain, but consistent, mildly heavy rain for a couple of weeks for the soil to really be moist enough to grow everything. And that's not forecast at the moment. So we could be seeing price rises by the time of next year's harvests. We could also be seeing this year's crops currently due to be harvested in the autumn. A few of them are going to fail. So um, they're saying half of our potato crop could fail this year. When it comes to the impact of water scarcity, the UK's farmers are like the canary in the coal mine. And when they are as worried as they are now, it's a signal that the whole country needs to be concerned. Wildlife and the environment have both been very negatively impacted by it as well. So people walking around might have thought it was autumn if you were walking around the country because trees are facing heat stress and dropping their leaves early. We're also seeing rivers at such low levels that we're having mass fish die-offs. In the River Mole, a tributary of the Thames, fish like pike and roach are having to be caught and relocated. Normally the Environment Agency would try to add oxygen to the water, but levels are now critically low. So a lot of the fish in this country are dying because oxygen levels are too low in the rivers. Hmm, okay. Those are very wide-ranging impacts. I guess I shouldn't be surprised. We are talking about water. But let me just focus on one aspect of this, which is our drinking supply. Just to start with, can you explain where it actually comes from? The path that the water takes to me turning on the tap and being able to fill a glass? Okay, so obviously the starting point is that it rains and the rain hits England or the UK. Then it goes into our rivers, it goes into our aquifers, it goes into our reservoirs. And from that, we have a network of pipes which take the water from these water sources into our homes and through our taps. And in the UK, I mean, how much water do people tend to use? Oh, we use quite a lot. So we use more than most other European countries year on year. Really? Yeah, yeah. So we use on average about 150 litres a day. And other European countries tend to use about 120 litres a day. So we're a little bit more than most Europeans. Why is that? Why do people in the UK use so much more water than others? So it's not completely known why. It could be a cultural thing. So we have quite long showers in this country. The average shower in this country that a person has is seven and a half minutes. And that's 25% of our water consumption during the day. And a lot of water companies are saying that we should be reducing our showers on average by one minute. And that would save quite a lot of water. Uh, Do we know why people in the UK like to shower for so long? 
I have not asked, no. But, um, <laughs> yeah. That was a good question, maybe one for an article at some point. Um, another thing, though, that's more serious is that we do have an ageing population and a lot of medical conditions require a lot of water to treat them, for example, dialysis. And that could be another reason. So we need it for medical reasons as well. And also we're a nation of gardeners. So I could imagine that um, average water use could be slightly skewed by the fact that we water our gardens so much. And is the UK efficient about the way that it uses water? Like, does a lot of what rains and ends up in those rivers and aquifers actually make it to our taps? Absolutely not. So we're very, very wasteful with water. A lot of our um, water pipes, as anyone walking around at the moment might see, are very leaky. I mean, water companies have not put their money into updating their pipes, which means that about 25% of all the water they get is leaked. Wow, 25%. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really not very good. And we're just not very efficient in the way we use water in general. So I was talking to some farmers this week and um, we grow the most water-hungry plants in the driest parts of the country. So a potato, for example, is 70% water and we grow most of our potatoes in East Anglia, the driest part of the country. Because we're used to being a wet country, we normally get quite a lot of rain. We haven't really put very much thought into water security. And as the climate emergency starts to come upon us, that is making us look a bit stupid. So, Helena, I understand one part of this problem, which is the exceptionally hot, dry summer we've had. Like, parts of southeast England have had less than 10% of their usual July rainfall. But... I want to understand the other side of this, which is how we actually store the rain we get, how we move it around to parts of the country that are a bit more parched than others. Could we be doing all of that a little better? Yes, absolutely. We've been terrible at it. So if you look at the rain distribution throughout the country this summer, the northwest actually have had about 80% of their average rainfall in some weeks and they've been okay, but we're not able to move the water from there around the country to other places that perhaps need it more. So that's a big issue. And uh, we don't have very good storage systems. Part of the issue is that each part of England is served by a different water company as well. So there isn't very much joined up thinking. But a really big issue is how we store water, as you just said. So the last time we built a significant reservoir in this country is before privatisation happened. The last time we built a reservoir in the southeast of England was in 1976, after their big um, drought that they had that year. We don't build enough reservoirs. Our population has expanded, has expanded massively and is still expanding, yet we are not building new reservoirs to hold water in. And that's caused a huge issue because we're running out of water, obviously, now. But Helena, we've known for years that the climate is getting hotter and drier. So, so why? Why haven't we built more reservoirs? Why haven't we made the system more resilient when we know what's coming down the line? Investing in infrastructure costs money. You could ask so many questions about why we haven't done many things to mitigate the issues of the climate crisis, the climate emergency. I mean, this is just one part of it. I think that people are quite short-termist in their thinking, especially if their mission isn't to stop the climate crisis, their mission is to you know, enrich their shareholders. So building a massive reservoir at the cost of millions is not going to be the first thing on their to-do list, nor is updating our Victorian pipes, which are still leaking water. From April 2020 to March 2021, water companies lost 2.3 million litres of water to leaks every day. That's a nearly 3% rise on the previous year. And the longer you spend without investing in something, the more expensive it becomes. The leaks become worse, the pipes become creakier, they need more maintenance and fixing. And the longer you wait to build reservoirs, the more dire the situation is. And again, the more expensive it is. So it's kind of a vicious cycle, I think. 
And you said that part of the problem here was, was shareholders. There, there are shareholders in, in the water. We're one of the only countries in the world that has privatised water, so even America doesn't. The other country that does is Chile. What does that mean in practice? What it means in practice is that the companies are run for the benefit of the people who have shares in them, the people who run them. So the idea was that a private water company could make a profit and that profit would go back into the infrastructure. More reservoirs would be built. It wouldn't be just up to the government anymore and there'd be more money rushing in and basically the, the problems would be fixed. That is not what's happened because there are people who are involved in the water industry who have made millions and millions of pounds in profit who become very rich off the back of our utility. I mean, think about how much water bills are and does that money go back into fixing the pipes? Of course it doesn't. A large chunk of that money is going to go into shares and dividends. One of the few things that I think a lot of people might agree with not being privatised is water because it's something that is so crucial for life and something that perhaps needs a bit more accountability. At least you can vote out a government that you don't agree with handling the utilities properly. At least you can switch your energy company even, for example. But you can't switch your water company. There's no competition and there's no way to show them that you're not satisfied with their service. I'm, I'm pretty shocked by all of this, especially that England is one of the only countries in the world that handles water that way, even after we've seen that it doesn't actually result in more and better infrastructure, just more profits for shareholders. Among the public, is there much outcry over it? People saying, hey, we need more reservoirs in our towns and cities. Okay, so to begin with, there is a small problem with some communities, not all of them, don't want to have large infrastructure projects near their homes. The big concerns are the construction phase, uh, the damage to the local uh, environment. Derek Stork has been explaining why he thinks building a reservoir on this field is wrong. It's always been a disaster for this area, an environmental and uh, amenity disaster for this area, complete dislocation. Why is that? Uh, uh, well, it takes 10 years to build. Once constructed, it will completely obliterate the view of people in the houses here and the nearby village. So some people have been fighting against the very few infrastructure projects like reservoirs that have been proposed. There's a village in Oxfordshire, I believe, that recently fought against having a reservoir in their area and now they're facing water shortages. But I would also say that I think the tide is turning. I think people do realise what the problem is now, especially as they're so angry about being told they can't wash their car or wash their garden or fill their paddling pool while their water company is flushing away a quarter of the water they get in leaks. Mm. So I do think it's a mixture. It's a mixture of opinion, but certainly I think there is a groundswell of anger building up against the water companies. So there have been days where I had to go and teach at school when I hadn't had a shower. It's been dreadful because it's been so hot and uh, not having any water to drink, turning on the cold tap and just not being able to fill a glass of water. It's been, makes you appreciate how important water is. We had enough water supply in the troughs um, to keep us going for probably about another 12 hours at the most. Helena, this drought warning is extremely serious and there are forecasts it could last as long as October. What does declaring a drought mean in practice? It's, it's really just a label, to be honest. It means that there's going to be more meetings about it between stakeholders, between experts and groups about how to manage it. But in practice, it's pretty toothless. I mean, the Environment Agency in general is quite a toothless organisation. So 
it doesn't really mean much but hopefully it means that people start to be a bit more careful with how they use water and hopefully it means that we have actually acknowledged that we're having a serious issue and perhaps we can take long-term action if we can't stop the drought from happening right now but perhaps we can avoid catastrophe in future years. And what can individual people do to try to ease the situation? So I want to preface this by saying that this is a systemic issue. It's a climate crisis and it's badly managed water supplies. And it's absolutely not only on individuals to act. And the water companies would like it quite a lot if we only focused on that. Hmm. But saying that, I would say that we have a habit of using very good quality tap water to do things that you might not necessarily need the tap water for. So two weeks ago, I was watching Gardeners World. Monty Don, the famous gardener, he was on and he was watering his plants with the water from his washing up bowl. Now I'm clutching a bowl of washing up water, grey water. And he was saying that we don't need to use good quality tap water to water our plants. Obviously not, plants can't tell whether it's good quality tap water or not. Because in the very dry conditions we've had, you need to use whatever water you can. Another thing that we can do is obviously things that we all get taught, like turning off the tap while we brush our teeth, having those shorter showers, as I said earlier. And yeah, I think that basically we need to dis- discern between good quality tap water and then grey water. So the water you use in your bath, the water that you use to wash up, that can be done for anything that doesn't require someone to kind of consume it, I think. So even perhaps washing your car with it. Okay, and you prefaced all that by saying this is actually a systemic issue. So tell me about some of those systemic fixes that the government can put in place. So we need far more investment from the government in our water security. It's been something that's been pretty much ignored and I've been very disappointed by the current leadership election about how little they've mentioned it really. There's been a couple of throwaway lines that haven't really meant anything. The government needs to invest a lot of money in water security. There should be some government-built reservoirs if the water companies won't do it. Something else that we need to do is actually nature-based solutions. So we are naturally a very damp country. Anyone who's been to England knows how damp it is here most of the time, not at the moment. But actually, we have purposefully desiccated our soil in this country to make farming more viable. So a lot of areas that were wetlands, we used to have loads of massive wetlands, have been drained to grow crops. And these actually should be taken out of food production, or perhaps part of them should, and re-wetted. Because if the soil is holding moisture, farmers don't have to irrigate as much. And that means that we don't have to use all of that water to spray crops. When we, you know, we've got water coming from the sky, that's perfectly good, but we don't hold properly. Something else that we have done is we've straightened our rivers and removed the wetlands around our rivers. So when it rains, the water kind of sloshes straight down. And not only does that cause flooding, but it means that the water just goes swish back straight into the sea. If we made our rivers once again a little bit more wiggly, if we added um, on each side of the bank a wetland so the water kind of stayed there, we'd hold water better to take out later and for the fish and everything, but also the land would be wetter. So basically we have to figure out how to make our land wetter again. It sounds like what's required here is a kind of mental shift for people to realise that the England that they grew up in and all the practices that it had, that's not the country anymore, that over the next few decades, England is going to be a fundamentally drier country. We need to make that, that mental shift and change policies accordingly. Exactly, yes. I think that it's very natural for us to have neglected our water security because we walk outside most days and it's raining and you think, we haven't got a water shortage, what are you talking about? And um, I think that we are facing a time now where our weather patterns are certainly changing. We are due a couple of thunderstorms 
but that's not going to fix the issue. So yes, we're going to have to act in many ways to combat the problems that we face because of the changing weather patterns. And I think that taking water more seriously is definitely a huge part of that. Coming up, will summer droughts become England's new normal? How regular are these droughts going to become in the future? Is, is this something that we just have to get used to? Well, it's difficult to say because even scientists have said that they were surprised by the ferocity of the heat wave we just had and the length of the drought we're having. Basically, we used to have these weather patterns that we took for granted. Perhaps we would have a hot summer, but then we'd have a rainy winter and autumn and everything would kind of balance out again. So the government and I think a lot of the water companies are acting as if we're in a normal weather system. Nowadays, we don't have that anymore. So we can't always bank on having a really, really wet winter to rebalance it because our weather patterns have changed. So it's very hard to predict, but certainly it has become more likely. And if we don't make this this mental shift, this policy shift, what could England look like in the future? It could look like we run out of water and London shuts down, you know. Is, is, that, is that a realistic scenario? Seriously, that could happen? Yeah, seriously, that could happen. Seriously, we could be told not to do things that use water. Obviously, the capital city is where the most kind of um, heavy water use happens around the capital city. And that is the first place that would kind of fall, I think. That's the first place that would be told, don't go to work or told to severely limit the amount of water they use. And there could even be meters where water is shut off. Um, Around the country, I guess farming would fail. We would stop being able to produce food to feed the country and have to rely on imports. But the issue is other countries are also facing similar problems. So will there be enough food to go around? I mean, I think we would always have enough food to go around in this country, but other countries might face famine. Um, We'd definitely face spiralling food costs. What else? I mean, wildlife would be in peril. Um, Wildlife's already had a really terrible time this year, heat stress. That would be an issue if they ran out of water. Some fish species might go near extinction. Um, It just would, it would be basically just terrible. I think it's one of the the worst case scenarios for the climate crisis. It's something that could cause civil unrest even if people, um, especially if water company bosses continue to make millions of pounds, if people see that, but they're not allowed to use water apart from for very essential purposes. I reckon that could even cause civil unrest. That was Helena Horton. Thank you so much to her. You can read her coverage of England's drought and its impact on water supplies at theguardian.com. A spokesperson from Water UK, which represents the UK water industry, has said that recent analysis by Offwat, the water regulator, on leakage shows that after a lot of hard work and investment by companies, England is now seeing among the lowest levels of leakage in recorded history. In the last two years alone, leakage has been reduced by more than 10% across the industry, and this progress builds on a reduction in leakage of a third since the 1990s and puts England on track to Harvard by 2050. That is it for today. This episode was produced by Ned Carter-Miles and Kletzia Sala. It was executed by Josh Kelly. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers are Elizabeth Casson and Phil Maynard. We're back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. 